movies go over schedule and directors go over budget. With Dylan, d does that change your feeling, your perspective about horror movies? Something far more evil. No, not really. I mean, would you let him see one of your movies? My son? Is out of control. Welcome to 100 Lunatics, the podcast where we examine horror's legendary icons from birth to death, to inevitable remake, reboot, reimagining, and existential retrocritical reclaiming. I'm your horror sommelier, Daniel Carver, hosting tonight as Daniel Carver. Sitting opposite to me in every possible way, my horror-hating cousin Nathan, portrayed this evening by Canada's premier minor league hockey blogger of Puck This, Nathaniel Lemieux. I'm the sommelier of hating this whole spiel that he's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and my two favorite horror is okay, Jays. Jonathan, played by Cornelius Rutherford Flumberbum III. That's atrocious. <laughs> I don't like this. And filling in for Jasmine, a painfully adorable old lady who clutches her cartoonishly huge purse to her chest when she feels uncomfortable. No one wants to be friends with us anymore. No. We've lost any Twitter following we may have had. Everyone's lost. They're like, what's going on? Bye, guys. It's been fun. Yeah, they listened to the first five minutes of this and said, nope. <laughs> Next. It's 1994, and this is A Nightmare on Elm Street 7, Wes Craven's Revenge. Right? Or Wes Craven's New Nightmare. New Nightmare. Okay, I'm done. Or Robert Shea and Wes Craven suck each other's dicks for an hour and a half. Yep. We called it. We're like, Nathan's going to bring up how much this movie sucks its own dick. Well, they did find a nice way to suck each other's own dicks for, let's say, 88 minutes and then take a shit on each other's chest in the final two. Mm-hmm. So that was cute. You guys are terrible. <laughs> there is definitely a lot of uh, dick sucking. There is a lot of um, previous sequel or installment bashing. And quite honestly, the way that Wes Craven reacts in this movie, or the way that he acts towards the other sequels in general, wouldn't he and Bob Shea hate each other? Right? Bob Shea's the one that produces all those movies. He's the one that gave the okay. He's probably the one that prodded for a new director to come in and pick up the franchise. He made a I've lot of your, money. I've got your answer. I've got your that's answer. That's probably just because Wes Craven said no most of the time. <laughs> no, what's, what, what's your answer? My answer is Robert Shea let him do everything that he wanted to do he said you know what Wes come back to the franchise you can have full control yeah yes Wes, Wes said 
full control. Yeah. And Robert turned around, undid his pants, and bent over. Mm. And here we have new new nightmare. Bent over while That's writing a about. ridiculously large check. Mm-hmm. Circle jerk. And it proceeded to be a fucking bomb, right, Daniel? The budget was somewhere in the vicinity of like, I don't know, $8 million. And the box office was somewhere in the vicinity of like, well, I don't know, $18.9 million, something like that. Right, so successful, but not much. And I'm guessing of that $8 million budget, $7 million went straight to Wes Craven. And then he skipped off with his half of the profit and started formulating Scream, which we all... Hope never lands on the wheel. Right, guys? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Not a Scream fan. No. Not a Scream fan. Honestly, post-1984, not a Wes Craven fan. Maybe 1987. When was Dream Warriors? 85, 86, right? Yeah. 87? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think that's the last time I appreciated a Wes Craven You guys touch. know what else came out in 85, don't you? A New Beginning. Back to the Future. <laughs> there it is. Wes Craven, we mentioned it earlier. Jonathan, how many times is his name titled on this movie? Well, let's see. Writer, director, one of the executive producers. He is... Uh, he has the I characters guess, based on his story. Yeah, on his story. characters based on his story. A Wes Craven film, and he was kind of a major role in this movie. Yeah, so is it, he's like starring. Yeah, also yeah, starring. starring. So six is that six? Is that six different paychecks? At least six different ways to get his dick sucked. <laughs> Who gives a flying fuck? <laughs> really? We're gonna talk about the details of his throbbing penis that got licked by Robert Shea. That's what I mean. We don't even talk about all the different angles that he came at the shaft and, you know, how much he licked, you know, how, how much attention he gave to each testicle. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. You need to know how much this movie is an egomaniacal yeah. clusterfuck. Yeah. But everything's a homage and they wasted 40 minutes leading up to it. But, mm. but can I say that he's a stud? Huh? <laughs> No, right, you Nate? can't say he's a stud. <laughs> Is he a stud? He's not a fucking stud. He's a waste of skin. He rocks right? a turtleneck, Everybody man. celebrates this motherfucker. And what did he do? What did he do, really? Aside from being incredibly studly on camera? Aside from creating Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street 1, what did he do? And 3. What did he do? Right. Well, what he did do was he made sure that there was no more sequels to this franchise. That's one thing that he did. Uh, second, we gave Freddy, or the entity, a whole new look. Yeah. Freddy got a makeover. Right. Was it necessary? <laughs> makeover, makeover, Show makeover, makeover. Show more superpower. You know, I felt it was, you know. They had to make him look a little different because he's a little different. Right. But what what was, or what looks scarier and cooler? His leather beat up physically real looking glove with blades on it or his rubbery weird bone on the outside of the muscle glove wait no 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 no! you're not going to do this you are not going to relate freddy to the entity they're two separate things oh of course they are 
Yeah, this movie is not about Freddy. Let's make you that clear right now. You can talk about the glove here being better or worse than the other glove because they're two separate things. And if you really want to dive into this movie and appreciate it, which I'm sure Jasmine does, <laughs> <clears throat> you you should be, you know, arguing the point that the entity's glove is the real glove and the Freddy glove is just an imagined piece of cinematic special effects no no because the entity's glove comes after the freddy glove no 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 no. yes 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 yes. the entity is real yes freddy's glove is not freddy's glove is a cinematic prop create yeah prop yeah yes excellent excellent (laughs) thank you thank you daniel it's a prop it's a prop am i the only one that was hoping for the like animatronic cyber glove at the beginning to be real yeah. I was yeah. hoping that would be his glove. I think, see, that's what I was confused. I'm like, I thought it was because the glove killed the guys and then the glove is missing and they can't find the glove, which is supposedly from the movie set that they were designing for the next movie or whatever. Yeah, the glove then, from the set is missing, but the entity that's running around, that his, his bladed hand is not that glove. See, I thought it was because it kind of looked like it except for the... Glove was like metal instead of where his was like bone and stuff. It's like I was being tortured on the couch. I was laying there sprawled out, <laughs> my tongue half out, one one peripheral eyeball watching the movie while the other one stared at the ground in horror. How do you get your eyes to do that? <laughs> Were you like lying sideways on the couch or something? Yeah, it's a Canadian thing. Yeah, we don't get so much time with Freddy or the entity as we do understanding the administrative inner workings of New Line Cinema or <laughs> what it's like to hang out in Bob Shea's office for 10 well, this minutes. Is, this is what I'm saying. I was sitting there watching the opening and I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Oh, this is a movie within a movie. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. And then I was trying to deal with that. And then, you know, the gloves started doing its thing. And I, I was like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? And then boom, trope. She wakes up. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> Times three. It's terrible. All right, let's talk about no Johnny Depp. No. What do you mean, no Johnny Depp? Couldn't couldn't get him. Couldn't get him for a Is cameo. It, wouldn't he seem like one of the people that should be in a movie where it's all about the cast of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, basically? Yep. If you're going to pick any one of those ones to come back. He's too big. Shouldn't he be one of the guys at least in the back of the funeral? No. No. You're going to need. pay him enough for that. At, at this point, you're going to need, yeah, like Jasmine just said, your your budget's going to need to double just to get him on screen. Yeah. You know, I mean, they probably went to him and they probably said, what are the chances? And he said, talk to my agent. And they said, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, come on, Johnny. He's like, agent. Agent. Okay. Agent, I hire you for shit like this. Talk you're to supposed the to be agent. my gatekeeper. Oh, no, no, no. Johnny Depp wasn't on set because Wes Craven didn't ask him because Wes Craven was too embarrassed about the image of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise to ask him to come and make a cameo appearance. And way later, after the movie had already come out, they ran into each other. Wes Craven brought up that funny story about how embarrassed he was. And Johnny Depp was like, yeah, I totally would have done it. Oh, Jesus. Name sauce. You figure, like, after Johnny Depp's cameo in the last one. Yeah, he's like, he already did a cameo. Why wouldn't he do like, this come final? Come on, he, he was in the, the Dare cameo. Why not just do, why not just stay in there at a funeral? Come on. Yeah. yeah. That's Name ridiculous. Sauce. 
But that's it. And then, of course, little adorable Miko Hughes. Oh, Miko Hughes. Terrible. Of Miko. Pet Cemetery, of Kindergarten Cop, mm-hmm. of Cops and Robertsons. What? With Chevy Chase? No. Don't remember that one? No, Nate no, remembers I that watch one. It with Chevy Chase. What? I totally remember Cops and Robertsons. Mm-hmm. Apollo 13. What? Yeah, that's where I recognized that kid from. The minute I saw him, I said, where is that kid from? And then I remember that scene where Tom Hanks goes into his son's room and explains that they fixed the door. It's not going to happen. Nothing's bad. Nothing bad's going to happen. He lied to his son. He lied to his son and told him nothing bad was going to happen, that they fixed the door. But Tom mm-hmm. Hanks doesn't lie. Does he lie? Lies to his son. But well, you, Apollo well, 13 broke kids, down. Kids it almost didn't come back. He almost died. But that wasn't because his, of the door. Put his son's... Oh, we're going to get specific about the door. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whoa, calm That's down. Back right. to the future. Back to the future. Back to the future. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't kindergarten. You wouldn't want me to get fired, would you? <laughs> would you? But it, well, no, Biff. Now I wouldn't want you to get fired. It isn't kindergarten cop? That's not where you recognize him from? Little boys have penises and girls have vaginas. Yeah, I remember him from Pet Cemetery. He was, a, he was a kid in the classroom. He wasn't. He wasn't even the main kid. But he was like the cutest, most memorable. I don't remember who the main kid Fox was either. He had a bigger role in Apollo thirteen. He mattered more in Apollo thirteen and Pet Cemetery. I've never even seen. Dude. Yes. So surprise, surprise. Yeah, that should yeah. definitely. Yeah, exactly. That will oh, come it's up. on the wheel. Hopefully that will come yeah. up. Yeah, you're gonna fucking make it land on the on the pet cemetery, aren't you? You go, oh, look at that! <laughs> pet cemetery, oh yeah, <laughs> such a coincidence. It's like a lot of horror movies where like the first one's really good, the sequels, you know. Yep. And the only other note that I have on here is uh, uh, Heather's husband Chase is a douchebag, and <laughs> then we can go ahead and have Nathan give us a good old stab. Well, well, there was one thing that I saw where Wes Craven named. The doctor, who was quite a cunt throughout the entire movie, uh, Dr. Hefner, is a nod to Richard Hefner, head of the MPAA and bane of Wes Craven's filmmaking career. Ah, yes. The woman who thinks that she knows what's best for Heather. And who keeps questioning horror movies, and you think horror movies are doing this to your son? And mm-hmm. she, d- she did a great job. I was going to say, I thought it was, she was great. She did do great, because yeah, I hated was- her, yeah. She was one of the best performances yeah, in this movie. Yeah, like yep. it was exactly what I would feel like someone would act at a hospital. Some bitch was coming in and acting crazy with some kid about movies that she was in. You know what would have made this movie better? Eliminating all of the Wes Craven part of it, like, <laughs> like his. And I'm not saying all of like all of Wes Craven as a director from the movie. I'm saying eliminate the fact that he's in the movie. Eliminate the fact that. He's writing a script. I was going to say, it's also weird how he explains it. Yeah. Can you just let me do that? If they they had run with the whole entity thing, if they had just run with Freddy becoming real in the real world and ran with the whole Heather Langenkamp thing and Robert Englund and blah and just just didn't have a script being written that as it was being written things were happening like that was totally unnecessary you could have just you could have cut off about 20 minutes of screen time and got more into the meat of the whole entity concept way sooner unless and, it um, was like a freddy typewriter that could have been awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this, this movie definitely uh slow definitely much longer than all the other movies yep it already feels weird because it's a movie within a movie. And then 
like I, I read that they had to go back and add those. You know the way the two crew members die in the beginning. They went back and added that in later because when they were looking over the script, they were like, "Oh shit, we forgot to kill people in this movie." <laughs> yeah. So those were added in as an afterthought, which means, is there even? Do we even bother stab this movie? There's no sex. There's no tits, and four people die. Yeah. Exactly. I believe you just stabbed. You just stabbed everybody. Mm. You, you just stabbed. It you all. just stabbed. Oh my god! You did it. You did a stabbing within a stabbing. Stab. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he did. You was craving the stab. <laughs> Look at you, man! You're on top of your game tonight. <sighs> Watch out, everybody! And also saw that the name Dylan was said a hundred and three times. Yeah. Wow. What the fuck? Like, can't we start using pronouns for the kid? Yeah, seriously. Fucking hell. And when I read that, I was not surprised. Because you can hear it. It starts to grate on your brain after a while in the movie. They say Dylan a lot. I actually really notice when she doesn't call him Dylan. Mm -hmm. Like, the one time she's like, my baby, where's my baby? Like, that's the only time you're like, otherwise it's Dylan, it's Dylan. I'm like, he's a six-year-old, come on. Yeah, do you mean, where's my Dylan, where's my Dylan? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Dylan became the new twig snap. It was all over the fucking place. Yep. (laughs) All right. To the walkthrough. To the walkthrough. To the walkthrough. To the walkthrough. There we (laughs) go. Okay, I was about to get really upset. In Wes Craven's new nightmare, Freddy has broken through the fourth wall. This film is different from the other nightmares in that it takes place in in real life amongst the uh, actors and producers and and myself, the writer-director of the original. So it's a... you know, it's what happens when the series is stopped and Freddy is killed off, and uh, the true Freddy behind it all crosses over into our reality. This time around, Robert Englund not only plays his more famous alter ego, he also plays himself. It's actually easy to play Freddy because uh, I'm covered in all that makeup. I'm liberated. In the previous six nightmares, Englund has reveled in the role of the boogeyman Freddy Krueger. An evil killer with a wicked sense of humor. And an appetite for one-liners. Freddy is the logo for an experience. And that experience is a very simple thing that we keep losing more and more in our society, which is a great cheap thrill. All right. Internet makes a big deal about this, so I'll bring it up just real quick. No intro titles, no intro credits, just boom, right into the movie of the film set within the film set of them filming Freddy <laughs> chopping his hand off and putting on a metallic glove. No intro Wait. quote. The internet's really upset about that? No, no, not upset. They just make a big deal out of it. As if Wes Craven was trying to like blend realities by thinking that you were like just slipping right into a documentary or something. <laughs> There's That's nothing new. A lot of, I don't know, maybe at the time it was something newer, but a lot of directors do that some of them don't believe in opening credits a lot of them do now where they're like intro then opening credits so you have some stuff happening and they're like you're like what's happening it's like bam movie title starring these people yep Mm -hmm. the cold open yeah seven's seven's a good example yeah all the uh, friday the 13th movies all the friday the 13th movies yeah but another interesting uh, point about seven is um that they don't show Kevin Spacey's name in the opening credits. Well, in this movie, in the end credits, <laughs> it says Freddy Krueger played by Freddy Krueger. So, 
That's that's weird. I was going to bring that up because I looked at the cast list uh, before. Well, as I was starting to watch it, and I saw Robert England playing Robert England, and I'm like, why doesn't it say Robert England playing Robert England slash Freddy? And then I learned later about the entity. <laughs> <laughs> the entity, which is how I prefer to refer. No, I'm just going to call I'm him Freddy. Refer- I, I prefer to refer. <laughs> I'm with you a hundred and fifty thousand percent. I am going to call him the entity. And anyone who refers to him as Freddy throughout this podcast will be accosted. Mm, I don't. I don't like how on board you are with me. I've, I, I go back. Let's just let's just call him Freddy because it's easier. He, yeah, he's okay. Freddy. No, no, we're not calling him Freddy. No, he's Fuck you. It's, it's an entity because it's not Freddy. No. It is an ancient exactly. demon, probably the devil. It looks like Satan at the end. See, see, he can't even do it. He just said he was like, no, we're gonna call him Freddy, and then he can't do it. He can't. can't do it. So anyway, true. Freddy. So this opening scene is them filming a scene for the new in the movie in the movie Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Just so we're clear, <laughs> and we get to, they finish whatever special effects scene that they're doing. We see that Heather Langenkamp is on set with her son, Heather's husband, Chase. Oh. Uh, is a special effects <laughs> operator. He has the remote control in his hand. He makes the glove do what it does. What's the name of his company? Ooh. Ooh. Cut to the Chase FX. <laughs> Cut to the Chase! Coffee mugs and everything. God, That's I hate what him. was on the coffee mug. Because uh. I, it t- it I thought it said Cut the FX. But I, I saw Cut the, and the FX is really big. And see, Cut to the Chase. Cut to the Chase. Ugh. Just ramping up the cheese. Just, mm-hmm. just letting you know. None of this is important. <laughs> no, but Chase takes his son for a little tour around the set. And while he's doing that, his special effects co-workers, Chuck and Terry, are having some issues with this metal glove. The animatronic Freddy glove comes alive and just destroys both of them. Rampage is the set. Two characters we a- don't give a shit about. That's a part of the problem here is that I already said I was on the couch. I was watching it out of my peripheral. I had my tongue out. You know, I I already I already got to the point where she woke up. I'm past this. It's trope. It's troped up. Let's yeah. move on. Right. But this is one's a little bit different because we assume after she wakes up in the middle of an earthquake that, oh, okay, this, this Chuck and Terry guy, that was just part of her dream. They're not really dead. But we learn later that they've been missing and do wind up dead. So we think it's fake. Turns out to be real. These are actually our first two deaths in the movie. They come right at the very beginning. And then we don't get another one for a while. Yeah. It's the earthquake. Turns out she's just been dreaming. Um, She's terrified. Everyone's scrambling around. Turns out that her husband, who got his fingers cut by the mechanical Freddy glove in the dream, his fingers are also cut now that everyone's awake. Same place. They just play off of that. It was a picture falling during the earthquake that cut his finger. She must have seen it after she woke up. It was still groggy. Assumed that she was dreaming. That's crazy bullshit. Yeah, they answer it away. They go downstairs to have breakfast. Little baby Dylan is making some fucked up scary man faces in his oatmeal. (laughs) They also play that off. And that's when... Chase decides to abandon his family <laughs> in a time of need because he so needs to go to Palm Springs for two days and film a detergent commercial. It's gonna make that money. Yeah, you can. Cause... 
His Heather's wife been on her ass doing nothing for a while. His wife Famous. is being stalked. His son is having bizarre sicknesses, and he's just gonna leave the family. <laughs> famous, famous last words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a de- uh, detergent commercial. What's the worst that can happen? But it's yeah, not Palm Springs. It's not even a detergent commercial. It turns out later that not only did he abandon his family, but he lied he to his totally wife. Stand-up guy, real stand-up guy. Yeah. I wonder how many illegitimate children this guy had. Now, he doesn't deserve her. Let's, we can all agree on that, right? Is she that good? Is she? Yeah. Did you want to have a? Did you want to have a moment here, like a Heather Langenkamp, you know, soliloquy? No, oh, I've I've had my Heather moments at least three or four times in the last two days. So, because this is, you know, a big deal for you, right? You wanted to what? Push her up against the locker and whisper sweet nothings in her ear and give her a little peck on the cheek and maybe maybe touch maybe touch Heather a little maybe like wrap the end of her gray streak of hair around my finger <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly right this is an intimate moment for you it was especially because in this movie she's about 30 years old <laughs> she, has, right. she got her hair did it's not so fluffy yeah, so now she's age appropriate you feel like you can kind of go into this a little bit more Mm-hmm. she's got a little bit of crow's feet there's a little bit of wear and tear on the face i appreciate that she's still got that big luscious hair like the female lead in airplane <laughs> she's pushed a body through her so she's a little more flappy now mm-hmm. right yeah and this, and all the things that are in this movie about Heather's life in the movie right. are based on her actual are life. You, can I just interrupt for a minute? Are you saying that you're attracted to the female lead in Airplane? Her hair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I want to say, though, <clears throat> and I tweeted it out as I was watching the movie, that I, I guess it was probably the point when the husband said, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. And because because the trope had just slapped me in the face with her waking up from the dream, I was like, he's dead. He's not coming home. <laughs> Boom. And uh, called it. He's fucking dying. Oh, yeah. We luck out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> he should have died sooner. Do you guys remember me saying before about how horror movies will often have other horror movies playing within them? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Here's a perfect example. Not only is it having a different horror movie play within it, it's having the original movie of the franchise that it is a part of playing in it. And the craven slurping noise begins, right? (laughs) If there had been just once, I would have let it slide. Two, I would have turned my head. But it's three times that we get to see the original Nightmare on Elm Street play in Wes Craven's new Nightmare. It's like, is that all? I feel like maybe it is one more time. <laughs> yeah. Is there another one? <laughs> there could be. It kind of seems... the beginning, and then there's one time when the TV's flashing, and then at the end when she's like, Daddy. Mm-hmm. Those are the three. Is that three? I feel like there might have been another time with the flash of the TV. Right. It feels like it's throughout, and Dylan's just poltergeisted himself to that TV the entire movie, just mm-hmm. staring at Wes Craven's original movie. Oh, big time. Because after Chase abandons uh, his family, uh, Heather gets... You keep gets... harping on this. Like, you really hate this Chase character. Uh, he's, just just, he's just not good enough for Heather. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, 
Heather gets dressed. She goes downstairs. She catches her son Dylan watching her original Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Has a little conversation with him. He begins screaming, freaking out. As soon as she turns it off. So, yeah, as soon as she turns it off, exactly. And now that's... In, in the movie, isn't that where Freddy's, like, introduced in A Nightmare on Elm Street where Nancy sees Freddy at the end of, like, a boiler room? Who are you? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the okay, scene so, where she sees him, yeah. So it's like the intro of Freddy Krueger in that movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so we're supposed to assume that, like, Dylan recognizes him or something? Yeah, or that they're just trying to parallel the introduction of Freddy in this movie, which we get via her stalker phone call, mm-hmm. which happens right after um, Dylan starts screaming. Mm-hmm. She picks up the phone. We get the one, two. <laughs> the little like stalker guy. She hangs up, picks it up again. He finishes it off. Freddy's That's coming great. for you. <laughs> <laughs> he was real eager to get it out at the end, too, because he's like, oh, bitch is going to hang up. I got to get this out. <laughs> exactly. And less than a year later, somebody, probably one of Wes Craven's buddies, was like, yeah, you know what? New Nightmare was all right. You know what part I really liked? I like the part with the creepy phone calls. We got to do something with that. <laughs> 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 Boom. Scream mm-hmm. enters. You know, now that you mention it's it, like now that you mention it, there's years. Yeah, two years between New Nightmare and Scream. He stopped. He 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 finished New Nightmare and he went right at Scream. Right at right away. Yeah, New Nightmare was the rough draft to Scream. Yeah. To Scream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that you bring it up, there's so much like New Nightmare regurgitation happening in Scream. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope we talk about Scream now. Scream might pop up. Um. What else happens here? Limo driver arrives. Uh, Heather freaks out on him, thinking that he's the stalker guy. He has a nice skullet, too. <laughs> skullet? Is that what you call a mullet when they're bald on top? Yeah. It's yes. a skullet. Skullet. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Um, Julie. Julie shows up. Yeah, Julie babysitter shows up. And what's funny is that they totally ignore the limo driver. He lets them know he's there. She says, okay, I'll be a couple of minutes. And then she just sits down with the babysitter and has some coffee. Mm-hmm. They talk about Dylan's problems. They talk about her shitty husband. Mm-hmm. And then he has to call and remind <laughs> them. And then she's out the door off to... Uh, off to an interview. Off to an interview. interview. That's right. The limbo driver recognizes her in the car. They have that little kind of creepy, perverse... He's got You're that... girl from that movie. He's got that skullet, high-energy, gum-smacking personality, that kind of gross... like Way too overconfident. Just just way, way too overconfident. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're cool. You're that chick from that movie. And he's, like, talking to her like a casual person. Like, that's cool. That's how you talk to, you know, people in movies. Yeah, he's, like, the kind of guy who would ask you if you had any Coke right before you left. Yeah. (laughs) Then, like, are you doing anything later? Mm-hmm. So he brings up her movies. She's not into it. She's not really comfortable talking. He calls her a superstar. She's like, uh, okay, well, I'm not a superstar. And uh, She's only done these movies. I'm like, don't be humble, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you find that Heather is an actual really nice person and very tolerant in this scene because she takes forever to roll up that divide that limousines have. Yes. Like the privacy divider. It's like, okay, that's enough. She doesn't even start rolling it up until they're already on the lot to do the interview. Yeah, she basically finishes rolling it up, and then there's some, like, lackey that opens her car door and takes her, like, rushes her off into the interview. She doesn't even get a chance to be rude. Right. (laughs) Right. 
and then straight to the bizarre interview with the interviewer that is sitting on the edge of his seat, leaning almost into her face. Now, he mentions that there were five popular sequels. Were they? Really? Really? <laughs> they were popular? Were they? We got yeah. that. Remember we were getting some anti-drug lectures from Freddy's Dead? Now, this time we're getting some are horror movies bad for the for society conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Heather, do you let your son watch these films? Do you think kids should watch not. these films? Do you think horror movies are bad for children and teenagers who find them so popular? Would you let your co-star babysit your son? Weird. Yeah. And her question, and she didn't say, I don't, she, she should have been like, of course, he's a normal human being who plays a monster. He's not actually a monster, but she's kind of hesitant. You know what? When he said, would you let your co-star babysit your son? I was thinking Johnny Depp was going to come out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, Johnny? He's actually the father. <laughs> right? That would have been a great cameo scene. Yep. But no. No. Instead, they surprise her with Robert England, who shows up in full Freddy makeup. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby <laughs> Ng. And he tears through the paper backdrop of the stage and he runs around the audience and does a big song and dance for him and everyone in the audience is also dressed up in weird freaky freddy costumes yeah, i saw one kid Thanks. in the audience who had the freddy mask that i wore for halloween yes like full on full pullover mask yeah mm-hmm. that you couldn't breathe out of and yeah. smell terrible doesn't fit <laughs> right school. nope yeah looks scarier because it doesn't fit right right it was just wobbled all over your head yeah, yeah. i think that's after that they were like maybe we shouldn't encase kids heads in plastic maybe that's bad right <laughs> that's a good idea maybe just the front part but this is a cool shot. It's a cool shot. The slow-mo with the smoke and the spotlight in front of him and him waving his clawed hand mm-hmm. over the light and it kind of breaking it up. And there's something, I don't know, maybe you watched The Exorcist with me recently. Mm-hmm. You know when the scene where it shows her on the bed towards the end and she's unlatched herself and she's got her hands up in the air and there's a big spotlight on her and it looks really crazy? You're, I feel yeah. like this... You're comparing New Nightmare to The Exorcist right now? No, no. I'm saying I think Wes Craven had the gall to make an homage scene to The Exorcist. I agree. Do do you think he knew what he was doing right there? Like that was the point? Maybe. No, I think he was egotistically trying to make uh, the entity something so overwhelming that it cascaded across the entire horror genre. That's what I think. I think that you were supposed to wonder whether or not he was possessing the child or using him as a conduit to break through into our reality. Like it was. It is the devil. I think in Wes Craven's mind, it was bigger than The Exorcist. That's what I think. That's a fair point. I could see Craven thinking that. I think he was slapping his his thing on the face of the horror genre. Just sitting at his typewriter with his pretentious turtleneck. Yeah. See, that's what happens when I pipe in on this podcast. <laughs> you, kill, you kill the flow. I blow everybody's mind away, and they sit there and they just they just contemplate what I've just done. <laughs> mind blown. I'm, I'm Wes Craven. I'm the Wes Craven of this podcast. <laughs> mm, here we go. There we go. Sorry, I was looking for my place. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Heather is waiting impatiently on Robert England to finish signing some autographs. He's a nice guy, it seems like. He is a nice guy. 
everything I've ever read on the internet about him says that he's a nice guy. Except that in the beginning, he was a little bit arrogant because he came from like a highfalutin school of acting and then got trapped as being this horror icon. (laughs) And I think at first he was like, no! (laughs) And now he's come to terms with it and he loves it. Now, while he was signing autographs, the only thing I could really think of is I really wish that Robert England would buy a silver suit that fit. You know? It's like a little the, big. Yeah, this was still in the uh, era of suits that were too big. Yep. You know, it seemed like he had shoulder pads. Heather gets a call from New Line Cinema. From Sarah, right? Yeah, from Sarah New Line Cinema. Uh, an actual executive from there who is excited to tell her that Bob Shea really wants to talk to her about something involving another nightmare movie. And I, I know your husband's away and your son's having all these episodes and freaking out, but damn it, Heather, it's time you put your career first and you won't want to miss out on this. Mm-hmm. So she zips right over. And after we've already had this sort of slow-moving movie where we get... Talks with Robert England, talks with an interviewer, talks about this and that. Now we're going over and having this weird walk through New Line Cinema's lobby and then into their administrative office where everyone's sitting around with cubicles. All the hot assistants walking around. Yeah, it's weird. The beginning of this movie is very slow and strange and clinical. Yeah, I really don't know why Craven thought it was very important for us to see the inner workings of New Line Cinema. Mm-hmm. And then they go... I'm just trying to trip you out, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. 45 minutes of, yeah, this is Heather Langenkamp playing Heather Langenkamp. Yes, yes. That's right. Walking around in a sexy pencil skirt business suit. We get it. Yeah. Yep. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, we get it. She's attractive, okay? God. Just knock it off. No. She's almost saying... too hot for TV. We understand. <laughs> 40... 45 minutes to the point where at 45 i actually tweeted out what are they doing yeah you know like i have no idea what's going on and what they're trying to achieve right now and then you know i it was answered like within the next 15 minutes it it was great their goal was but come on no when when you see the 45 minutes when you see the inside of of robert shea's office of bob shea's office all it is is Freddy memorabilia and Freddy movie posters. Like the yep. only thing the guy's ever done is Freddy movies. And this is Wes Craven's way of saying to, to Shay, like, hey, you're fucking welcome. Yeah, I made you. I made everything you see here. And Bob Shay, with his really weird way of talking, he likes to talk to Heather about if she'd like to be in the new Nightmare movies. That's exactly how he acts when he does his cameos in the other movies, too. There's something about a nightmare gatekeeper. So one of them is a positive one. The other one is a negative one. <laughs> you need a ticket. He does. He has a robotic voice. I could pick him out of a fucking crowd. I don't know. I'm looking through Robert Shea's stuff, and um, I don't think... It was the only thing that he did. He's a New Line Cinema executive. That's all. Yeah, but in his office, Wes Craven put just Freddy Krueger stuff everywhere. You see Freddy Krueger posters. You see 
just little props from the Freddy movies. That's just for effect in the movie. Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's Wes Craven telling Robert Shea, I fucking made you. Yeah, that's that's Robert Shea showing up on set and being like, does my office need to have this much Freddy memorabilia in it? Wes Craven's like, do you want to be in this movie? (laughs) That's more more cocksucking is what you're saying. (laughs) Bob Shea... This is a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Should we put up props from the other movies I've done? Go fuck yourself. You're only here because I made you. Mm -hmm. What other movies? (laughs) Take your pants off. Please tell me. Actually, please tell me you pulled up a video of self fellatio. That that is an audio. That's from that's from sound soundcloud dot com. Noises of a blowjob. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a blowjob that sounded like that no that was amazing so can you play Bob it again Shea wants <laughs> her to do one more movie and he asked her if she's willing to reprise her role as nancy but nancy died nancy died in part three so whenever they say nancy will you or heather will you play nancy one more time one more time of what what plot were they going to bring about where Nancy comes back from the life? Nancy's ghost. She's the next Jason Voorhees. I think so. Right, and then it, we learn that <laughs> we learn that uh, that Chase has been lying about this detergent commercial. That he's actually been working on a prototype glove for a new Freddy movie. And there's that weird scene where it looks like Robert Shea has also been getting. Mm-hmm. stalker phone calls and bad dreams he won't even answer the phone yeah he won't answer his own phone they make a big deal out of it where he kind of sweats it for a second as she grills him about why he won't answer the phone then he just laughs it off well, we have people to do that now we get home we scream dylan's name five or six more times because dylan is having a seizure in his bed nancy runs right in in her pencil skirt takes dylan into her arms soothes him and then he starts reciting some of the Freddy Krueger lullaby. Yeah, so he goes into like the kind of raspier, creepy sort of voice and keeps repeating, never sleep again. I don't even understand what the kid's fucking purpose is. He's, he's like just the warning signal that the entity is approaching. He's the child right? that Freddy wants. He wants yeah. children. He's the real dream child. Yeah, he's a new team child. Whoever did it first, whether it was Halloween or Friday the 13th, one of those put a child in their movie to raise the stakes of the horror. And ever since, that's just become its own go-to trope. Also, it was always, always Freddy's thing to attack children. That's true. He's a pedophile. He likes his kids. And then and the parents go and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill your kids. And then he's like... Hey, kids, bring me some more kids. You know, like, that's the thing. It's true. He's constantly <laughs> chaining up kids. I mean, he's a pedophile. That's what it's, it's yeah. his thing. I feel like that's his thing. Children. The whole pedophile thing is gone. Yeah. And it's been gone for a long time. No, it's this is, always this is there, though. This is truly about Nancy. And the only, thing, the only reason why he's fucking with the kid is to get to her. 
Yeah, so that that's true. But that melt the, the child monster thing is always there for me still. Like yeah. when I see Freddy running around for the crowd and waving <laughs> his arms around and everyone's cheering and blowing him kisses, I'm like, child molester. <laughs> right? Like I get it. Yeah, I like when he says bitch too, but he kills kids after he touches their genitals. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a line too here where he says, I touched him. Does he say that? Yes. Yes, he does. Okay, what else is happening? <laughs> Rex. Rex, the guardian stuffed dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, T-Rex. Right? Dylan has been using him, putting him down by his feet under the covers, which is kind of creepy. Like, you always think of, like, the boogeyman coming out of the side of the bed mm-hmm. or coming out of the closet. But having actual little claws coming, like, tickle your feet. Yeah. <laughs> that part does kind of creep me out. Just the idea. The execution, no. But the idea. And he has a little stuffed animal named Rex that he puts down by his feet that protects him from having the entity come out and grab him. And it's been torn up. It's been shredded. By Freddy. And Heather notices and knows who the potential villain is and is terrified for her and her son. Mm -hmm. Heather frantically calls her husband Chase, says, hey, your kid's spazzing out. We're having some episodes here. Shit's going wrong. Yeah, oh, did you get did you get some more stalker phone calls? Did you? Did you? Is that really why you're freaking out? Well, maybe. Maybe you got one or two. No, that's really the re- okay. I'll, I I guess I'll be there. Dun, dun, dun. Right. He said it's running behind because two of his other guys didn't show up to work. Yes, that is where he mentions Terry and Charles mm-hmm. Chuck. 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 Yeah. Missing. Yes. <laughs> So She's they're like, what missing. To them? I'm swamped. I'm the only breadwinner now since you stopped acting. Can't even uh, do a freaking interview. Exactly. A good father would have said, "What? My son is in trouble." <laughs> Dropped the phone without hanging up and just got into his car and raced off. But he's like, "Are you sure you're not just worried about the stalker? Do you really need me to come home? Are you sure he's really sick this time? Remember last time you thought he was sick? He wasn't so sick. Is it like <laughs> last time, Heather?" Like, God, living with this guy must be so annoying. Do you know how long that drive is? I'm in Palm Springs, for Christ's sake. God. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so when he leaves the, the FX trailer where he has majority of this phone call, we see that the Freddy Glove prototype or whatever it is that he was working on is now gone. Yeah. Yes. Right, it's so. missing. He's headed back home. Heather is reading Dylan, Hansel, and Gretel. Which turns out to mean a hell of a lot more to this movie than you think it will. Then it has any right to be. Yes. This should be just a bedtime story and that's it. Is Hansel and Gretel really a bedtime story? None of the original fairy tales become bedtime stories until... Until Disney takes over. Yeah, Disney takes over and make them all princess stories. And then it's like, oh, they all end happily ever after. Because originally Grimm's fairy tales, they're all horror stories, right? For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very conflicted on this issue. About the Hansel and Gretel attachment? Yes, because there's a part of me that appreciates how cool the idea was. Because, come on, it's a Freddy movie, right? And your son... You know, they, they did show the kid saving the sleeping pills and not... Eating them. Yeah, tugging them up. Mm-hmm. And then to have him use that as crumbs to lead her to where he is in Freddy's world. And every time she takes one, she's falling further into dream state. Like, it's. I, I, I get why that's cool. And I can yeah. appreciate how that idea is cool. It's probably one of the cooler ideas in the movie, to be honest with you. 
It's a lot of cool ideas in this movie. No, <laughs> I, I was going to go the opposite way. The Jeep. Well, I don't know. I don't know that you can slam that because it is one of the cooler things in the movie. Right, I mean, but with that being one of the cooler things in the movie, it just goes to show how few cool things in this movie there were. <laughs> Any execution could have been a little bit better but i'm on board and I, I get it yeah it's cool that the crumbs are sleeping pills this is a movie about nightmares this is how she meet, joins up with her son is by helping he's helping her fall asleep and to follow her uh and they actually lead up to it because that's one of the hard things with these movies and especially with west craven movies because he has no tact and he doesn't really know how to make a movie <laughs> so it's nice to see him like you know, introduce the Hansel and Gretel's tail early in the movie, show him not swallowing the sleeping pills, and then use it effectively. Mm-hmm. So, And there's some connection, because she just had a conversation with the interviewer about maybe not exposing horrific ideas to her children. And so she cuts the end of the story of Hansel and Gretel short, so that she doesn't have to describe the horrific part about pushing the witch into the burning oven. Of which he describes it to her. Exactly. Perfectly memorized. Yes, Very he creepy. recites it from memory, which is creepy. Super creepy. creepy it, it works with later on, though, because he seems to have an obsession with it, so it actually helps. Now, <laughs> let's talk about scratching dicks. Is Chase's death scene an homage to Dan from part four? Right? We have a falling asleep in the truck death scene. Wait, how can you do an homage to a part of the series that sucked major ass? How can you how can you make an homage to something that is just so god awful? I just refuse to accept that number four deserves any respect whatsoever. Mm, I love them all so much that I actually have an issue or i take issue with how much wes craven shits on them well with this death scene for chase i mean it was kind of funny to see the little cock tickle yeah the little blade comes out and tickles his dick little scrapes the front of his denim he's like what's that and then the claw shoots all the way out of the seat after he's fallen asleep stabs him in the chest he crashes his car cut to cops arriving at heather's house giving her the bad news heather well, Not really that sad. No. Like, wait, wait, is he hurt? She already knew what happened. Although it sounds weird because she's like, like, is he hurt? She's like, more than hurt. She's like, so. There's, okay, so what would that be? Okay. <laughs> she's like, yeah. that, does that mean he's dead? I was like, yeah. pretty sure that's what more than hurt means. I don't know. Yes, very coy cops. <laughs> They're like, well, he's not technically alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And she can't accept it. Like, she refuses to accept it. Or she at least wants to see his body really bad. She she races to the morgue. And when she goes to the morgue, she walks into this room with just a whole bunch of coroners standing over dead bodies. I don't think you're allowed to do that. Yeah, it's funny because they all act real confused. Like, why is this lady in here? But at the same time, no one tells her to leave. And, They're and like, what the fuck is this bitch? Uh, and, and, and let me take you somewhere else. There's a, there's a body on the gurney that's just like split open and you can see just gore oh yeah that dude's on like that body. elbow deep in that body he's like got gloves and blood he's like in it and the other guy's like can you get that for me <laughs> <laughs> can you take care of this i'm a little busy what the fuck is she doing in yeah. here like yeah I'm, I'm holding someone's entrails right now she shouldn't be here and the corner's like who are you and she's like i need to see chase and he's like oh, okay yeah, okay 
That's all you need to say. And, and the way they made what? it, they made it sound was like Chase's body would be the worst one out of all of them, mm-hmm. right? But no, not a big deal. He was in a horrific car crash, and there's no damage to his body from the car crash. Nope. Just What's some- the big deal here? They're they're busy. Okay. There's been a lot of bodies lately. They got a lot of shit to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she suspects it wasn't just a car crash, and after she sees a little glimpse of some claw marks on his chest. She has the coroner lift up the sheet all the way, confirms that there was something Freddy-like involved, and uh, she holds the coroner hostage for a minute. Mm-hmm. She won't sign the death release paperwork until he holds up the sheet and she gets to examine the body further. Yeah, he's like, "Ma'am, we're really not allowed to do this." Like that coroner is breaking all kinds of protocol like, already, and no one seems to make any notes of it. They're just like, "Uh, like they f- seem awkward. Like they shouldn't do it." They do it anyway. They don't say anything like, oh, no, we shouldn't. No, we can't. No, no we need to f- identify who you are. <laughs> and then she doesn't even sign. She just yeah, storms she walks off. Away. They don't stop her. He's not like, hey, stop that lady as she leaves. None of that. They just let her go. Mm-hmm. And now it's cameo time at the funeral. Oh, right. Nathan, I don't know if you... You had to be quick. I had to pause it to point them all out to Jonathan. We've got some cameos here. Did you catch them all? Um, probably not. <laughs> I got, you know, the the father is involved, right? Mm-hmm. John? Yes, John Saxon is in the background. Tuesday night is on the far left. Oh, wow. Um, uh, Robert Shea, or Bob Shea and Wes Craven are both there. Robert England is there with his actual real-life wife. And last but not least... Isu Garcia, is this our first uh, visual encounter with the entity? Like, he doesn't appear before this scene, right? It's all just we, glove we, stuff. Yeah, we get a lot of glove stuff. But yeah. now now we see Freddy. Just some over-the-pants glove stuff. <laughs> this time, Earthquake starts. Heather sees that the cask is getting jostled around. She gets up to fix it, falls down, hits her head. Yeah, that hurt. Gets knocked into Dream World, envisions this entity Freddy mimic coming out of a hole within the coffin, grabbing her son Dylan, and taking him through one of those like magician's escape hatches. Another ten times she says, Dylan, Dylan, yes. Dylan. And I want to say those weird magician escape hatches freak me out. Like There's something inherently scary about those things to me. She tries to jump in after him, and she grabs Dylan's hand, pulls him away just in time. Just in time. Her husband comes back to life, gives her some sort some sort of warning. Either way, it's all a dream. She's just been knocked out on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> she wakes up all freaked out. and John's there. John's there. Like, oh, she's freaked out. Fine. Where's Dylan? Where's yeah. Dylan? John Saxon's there. Now, I've heard, I haven't really heard anybody bring it up yet, which is surprising, but the number one complaint or insult that I always hear in this movie is oh so because they did a movie once in 1984 all these actors are best friends yeah <laughs> I feel like weird also it's like she's like calling them now I feel like Robert Lynch she's like oh now you want to call me bitch <laughs> now you got issues and you want to call me yeah but part of it also is they, uh, they bring up the the next movie so her and Robert Lynch are supposed to 
anticipatory like work together yeah, again. Th- their conversation makes sense, but her and John Saxon seem like they yeah. actually have a pseudo father daughter relationship going yeah, on. Yeah, she calls them a couple times later to help her out. Mm-hmm. They have a cut talk at the park. Well, you know. Well, and Robert England comes up at the funeral right in front of his wife and makes sure to pull Heather aside and it's like, if you need anything, anything, you just anything. let me know. I think it's divisive. The father relationship with John Saxon is divisive. It like builds to a crescendo until it fully, until they fully engage in actually being father daughter. So mm-hmm. it seems like Wes Craven kind of knows what he's doing. He's trying to be sly. Yeah, yeah he thinks he probably thinks this thing's a fucking masterpiece uh-huh. in his mind. Back at the Langenkamp house. Dylan is watching the original Nightmare on Elm Street for our second time. She interrupts him again. He freaks out again. And he starts reciting the lullaby, which he claims he heard coming from the foot of his bed. By children. Right? Creepy children. Spooky. Extra spooky. TV is unplugged. And then they go back to, you know, extra spookier than that, Dylan gets a nosebleed. This freaks Heather out. Then they're both in bed. They're cuddling. She's saying goodnight to him. No Hansel and Gretel story this time. This time, they're going to have a little conversation about where dad has gone. And why does God do bad things to good people? And where most movies would probably give the kids some stupid fucking answer. She just says, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. I was getting a little bit of a luxury religious vibe. And then all of a sudden, she's like, I don't know, Dylan. All right. God just hates some of us. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, this is the Heather and John Saxon conversation. Dylan's playing at the playground. Heather and John having a little conversation about Dylan or Dylan's health, Dylan's mental health, Dylan's future, how Dylan's handling his father's death. Like it's been kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Heather thinks things are really weird. John is trying to calm her down. It's like, like oh. hey. Give him a break, right? His dad died. Yeah, it's charming. Mm-hmm. It happens that way. He's got to work it out himself. Mm-hmm. And while they're doing this, Dylan's having a Damien from the Omen moment. Freaking psychotic episode. Yeah. Walking around, climbing on the outside of the, of the playground equipment, listening to like intense gothic orchestral music. <laughs> and until he gets himself to the very dangerous tippy top of some like two-story piece of equipment and it's just standing there with his arms raised to the sky trying to reach somebody oh great mother heather realizes her child <laughs> yeah. is the top of two-story things like yeah. yep. talking our conversation he's just crawling around honestly no one notices no yeah. one at all it's kind of funny how she and john are just sitting there talking about how much she loves yeah. her son and how her biggest fear is some of her family history of psychosis and shit is going to get into him yes and how and how much they they really care about this kid all the while They're not fucking paying attention to yeah. him at all yep yeah thank you for bringing up that that yes heather does have insanity that runs in her family which is weird that they bring that up as a red herring. Because I feel like this movie is kind of probably already a little bit too confusing for a lot of people. For, for them to throw in that extra little subtext of what? I don't Which they think... don't really explain who or how. It's just someone close relation. Could have been her mom. Could have been her cousin. Could have been her grandma. Could have been her third cousin. Well, we know so... that alcoholism runs in Nancy's mom's side of the family. Let me be a little honest about that. 
I forgot about the boozer. Mm-hmm. Forgot all about the mom. Nancy's mom is big, big boozer, remember? She couldn't mm-hmm. wait to use Freddy's return as an excuse to go back to boozing. I totally remember it. Jonathan, now. you look stunned because you came in... Man, love these movies. After we'd already seen part one and two. Yeah, no, I just know uh, Nancy's dad to be a boozer. Yeah, he becomes a boozer in part three. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I... So lots of alcoholism in the family, but... For that's because sure. he loses it. Now, if them, if somebody throws you a 75-pound bag from 25 feet, <laughs> does it hurt? Probably not 75 pounds. Can you catch it? Because, man, he hits hard. <laughs> yeah, and that's a pretty high height. I'm saying he depends probably has speed on depends it. Depends on how you took it. Depends on how, you know, when, when the weight came at you. Depends what you did, you know. And she immediately, like, crumbled you know, to the t- ground. T- took the weight in and crumbled to the ground. Yeah. She might have done it, you know. Accurately, she might have actually done the best that she could have done with that weight. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give Lang and Camp the uh, the benefit of the doubt on this one. Mm. And she seemed hurt too. She's like, oh, oh and how's Dylan? Because she seemed all out of it, even though he was in her arms. She was unsure of his status after that. She's and, like, oh. Yep. And e- even when running frantically across the playground, still attractive. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Strong, <laughs> smart, and beautiful. God. <laughs> All right. Now, who remembers that Heather gets burnt letters in the mail from her stalker? What letters? Oh, yeah. Yep. And then she puts them in, the, in that drawer. Yeah. And then her then her kid, when he's possessed or whatever, when, when he's being a conduit for the entity... He uh, lines them up on the floor and it says answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Those exact letters. I don't know why. Which means he preemptively sent all those letters just so that the kid could line them up on the floor so that she would answer the phone. When she's already been answering the phone. Yes. Every time that he calls. Yeah. Yes, this stalker has spent months (laughs) to set up this fraction of a second moment yeah. of satisfaction and see when she got when she got the mail and got the burnt letter right it was an e that she threw in the drawer with the rest of them and all i saw was an h and an a and i thought that she was spelling out her name oh like it would eventually say heather right and you could rearrange the letters of answer the phone to spell out heather so maybe he was trying to say something else hmm. maybe a lot of work though just for that tiny tiny little moment yeah Weird conversation with Robert England on the phone, right? He's painting. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what Freddie does in his off time is he does a little bit of painting. <laughs> He's got to share his artistic side, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knew Freddie was an artist? Like Hitler. Like <laughs> Hitler. Yep. And he cannot come and see Heather and uh, soothe her anxiety about what's happening because he has to finish this dark painting that he's been doing of the entity and he also tells her about how Wes Craven's script for this new inside the movie movie Freddy movie is foretelling the future and it's coming from Craven's nightmares and every time he has a new nightmare he writes something down down. Mm mm-hmm so Heather first gets wind that, ah, there's something intrinsically tied between Russ Craven and this movie that he's writing and some of these weird circumstances that have been happening lately, including things like Dylan's fever and delusions and hallucinations. 
LA's earthquakes, Heather's nightmares, people disappearing. But uh, Robert England went and said that Wes Craven wouldn't tell Robert any of the details. Right. Right? He's keeping that all secret. So what does Heather decide to do? Well, if she's not going to, if Craven's not going to tell Robert, maybe he'll tell me. Mm hmm. <laughs> Ego on her. She's got tits. Not so really. She's got, but she's got tits. So <laughs> that's like two up on Robert England, who doesn't have tits. Now, this is Dylan's adorable little baby Freddy Glove. Oh, very cute. Right. Right? He doesn't even take like. He doesn't even take big ass scary knives and put them on his tiny fingers. He goes and finds little adorable baby butter knives. No, there were steak knives. Were they steak yeah, knives? But they're, they're so knives. little. They're like little. Part, they're like um, like a, like a paring knife. Yeah, like a paring knife. Yeah. Yes, not super sharp. Like they were downscaled in the appropriate way for a child. I Who has five cute. paring knives? You only need one. Yep. Now this is the scene they was talking about earlier. She wakes up, goes downstairs. Dylan has put all the letters from the drawer from the stalker on the floor. It says, answer the phone. As she reads that, the phone rings. She picks it up. It's Freddy. <laughs> or the entity playing Freddy. It's and funny. he says, I touched him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like there's that, no, That's what the subtitle says. He said. I touched him. Like, I came while you both were sleeping, and I touched your little boy's pee-pee. That's what he's saying, right? <laughs> Pretty much. And then he sticks no, out he his tongue. He, come on. He doesn't say pee-pee. He says he touched him. Like, he he touched like him I in tainted real him. life. Like, I tainted no, him with a like nightmare he, fever? Like, he reached out and he touched him in real life. Yeah, touched his little like pee-pee. Like he's a used him as a, Like, he's used him as a conduit. <laughs> yeah. Losing like a condom. Got you, it. Use his little, <laughs> his little baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. Exactly. All right. Point gotcha. proven condoms. right there. Okay, Solid let's move gold. on. Yep. <laughs> so after he, he says that he's touched Dylan, foam starts coming out of the phone and foam starts coming out of Dylan. Well, there was a tongue in there, wasn't there? Yes. Oh, yeah, a tongue looks right. to the face. How can I forget the tongue? Yes. Another homage. Another homage. Another homage to the, the, the beloved tongue phone scene. <laughs> lots of tongues in this movie, actually. Just like there the were. Tongues are a bit. And there were lots of tongues in Dream Warrior, too, right? Wes Craven has a thing for tongues. Mm hmm. I just found something out that's disturbing about Dream Warriors. What? You guys remember the character? There was um, there's two different orderlies, right? There's Lawrence Fishburne, and then there's the other one that's uh, yeah, the creepy one, the one that wants to rape the girl. Yeah, the creepy rapey guy. Yeah. yeah. He marries in real life Lynn Shay, <gasps> the sister of Robert Shay, the one that's you know creepy and there's something about marrying Kingpin, <laughs> chain smoker usually. Yep. And they have a child together. Ooh. Keeping it within the family is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm saying it's it's kind of awkward. I was like, I was, I was looking at her on IMDb, and I said, who is that that she married? And I looked him up. I saw I saw that he was in Dream Warriors, and I was like, what character did he play in Dream Warriors? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? The rapey, creepy orderly is sleeping his way up that corporate ladder. <laughs> You gotta wonder, right? He's the f co-founder or 
Founder and CEO of New Line. That's serious fucking money. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Hefner. Dr. Hefner. Who heads this hospital was modeled or was named after this MPAA figure that Wes Craven had so much trouble with, right? Yep. And in the movie, she reflects that perfectly because she's all in Nancy uh, Heather's business. All in it. The second she brings Dylan in, uh, he's foaming from the mouth. Oh, what? Do you let him watch horror movies? Are you a terrible mother? Because you look like a terrible mother. He, he wouldn't does be foaming look like a from terrible the, mother. He wouldn't be say. going through these epileptic seizures and foaming at the mouth if you didn't let him watch your movies. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I immediately got pissed off at this doctor, and Jasmine immediately came in and defended her. <laughs> She's right. You claim that Heather is acting crazy and deserves to be interrogated. Possibly an unfit mother, dare I say it. Just saying. She's not paying attention. She's neglecting this little boy. She's like so worried, but she's not paying attention with the playground. And then he starts getting all sick, and he's like having these crazy delusions, and she's just completely feeding into it. <laughs> and so, from the doctor's standpoint, I would think that bitch is crazy too. Like, do you believe what he's saying? So Jasmine is now calling out Daniel for just looking at Heather through these rose-colored glasses that she's just so perfect and so beautiful and she could do nothing wrong, but she's a terrible fucking mother. In reality, terrible mother. And she deserves everything she has coming to her. Also, I'm pretty sure she got her husband killed. Pretty sure that if he had never met her, he'd probably still be alive, living a nice married life with some other chick. But he married her. She sure moved past it, though, didn't she? (laughs) Yeah, she did. Like, she planned it, almost, right? Almost like she knew this was going to happen in her dream. That she had. She wants all that FX money coming in now that she's not acting anymore. She's in cahoots with the entity. Okay, I'm not completely opposed to Heather having an evil side. You like it, don't you? A little bit. That's what the gray streak is. A little bit. The gray streak in her hair is the evil coming out. Does the carpet match the drapes? With the gray streak? (laughs) Yeah. That'd be weird. (laughs) It's like Bride of Frankenstein on there. She Perfect gives, silver streak right down the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's giving Dylan a little pep talk because he's going to have to stay at the hospital overnight for some testing. Mm-hmm. She's going to go home and grab Rex for him, calm him down. And then she basically seeds the idea in his brain of escaping the hospital and crossing the freeway. Too early. No, that's when that happens. No, that's no, happens. no, this is the doctor scene where they give him the sleeping pill for the first time. And Dylan yeah. doesn't take it, and she goes from there to Craven's house. Yeah, but oh, she's we'll she's going to leave him there at the hospital. But she tells him, "I'm just going to be right across the freeway." Yeah, she's like, "Our house is right over there." And right then Lynn the Shay walks in, making her little cameo. She gives Dylan some medicine. He puts the medicine in his mouth. Uh, Heather um, runs off to Wes's, and oh, I didn't think the highway. Mark, the highway comment was until later when she was going to run and grab Rex before. Yes, that's where it gets confusing because she forgets Rex twice. This time and again later. So there's two times when she has to leave to go get Rex. Yeah, I thought she fucked that up. Well, the first time it was just him going to the hospital. She didn't expect him to stay there overnight. They were just going because he was foaming at the mouth. No little foam in the mouth. Figured it'd be fine. (laughs) (laughs) He just swallowed some poison from under the sink. Yeah, she figured it'd be fine. Quick in and out, you know. And then he's like, well, Rex is at home. She's like, but that's where you want to go, right? You got to get better before you can come home. Which, honestly, again, more bad mothering with the whole, like, you know, you got to fix this problem. It's your problem. 
Like, you got to come out of the psychosis and, like, join the real world. You're on your own, Dylan, 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 Dylan. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have had to have called Daddy home if you weren't so sick. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. I'm going to say it 103 times <laughs> in this podcast. It's going to be like Nathan Stud. Mm-hmm. But Lin Shay, always pleased to see Lin Shay. I enjoy Lin Shay in the horror setting. Yeah. And then Heather almost crashes, peeling out of the hospital parking lot. <laughs> She's driving an old Volvo station wagon, just like her mommy from the first movie. And she calls Robert England's house because she wants to go meet with him. Like she they did were say supposed she was to come by in the morning. She's like, Can I come by tonight? He's like, No. He's like, Well, how about in the morning? Real early, though. Really yeah. to talk to you. Real important. Exactly. But it's night when she leaves the hospital, right? It's no. day at that time. Is it's it? The first time, yeah. It's day when she leaves because she almost hits that car in the parking lot. But she gets Robert England's answering machine, and Robert England explains. He's out of town. Very clearly to anybody who would like to rob him that he's going to be out of town for a while. (laughs) Now, is he... Did he catch wind that something weird was happening because he was channeling these visions through his artwork and decided to leave town with his wife and lay low for a while? Or is he dead? Or is he Freddy Krueger? Right. To come this idea of another great plot where Robert England snaps... And completely and, absorbs the Freddy Krueger Yeah, we always character. make we always come up with a better plot <laughs> yeah, for the movie in the movie, right? And this time it was You know, that would make more sense because we don't see England again. Exactly. Right? And so the entity goes into Robert England and is now touching people. And there are peepees, yeah. Through Robert see, England. Throughout the entity completely. There's no entity, it's just Robert England snapped and gone crazy. And he's like, everyone thinks I'm Freddy Krueger? Then I'll be Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I, <was doing, laughs> I was doing Shakespeare before all this bullshit. Yeah. And now I'm just Freddy fucking Krueger? No Fine. one wants to let me do anything yes. classical. No one wants to give me a chance. Fine. That's what they want. I'm going to give it to them. Instead of Wes Craven, good. seeing that the storyline had become an incomprehensible mess from the sequels and deciding that they were such a bad mess that he had to metaphysically remove the story of A Nightmare on Elm Street from fiction. He could have just gone with Robert England going nuts, right? And thinking he was actually Freddy Krueger. Like, could you imagine, like, setting it up? Okay, during the uh, interview where he's, like, the surprise cameo in the interview, and he's, like, signing for all the little kids, but he's signing all the pictures as Robert England. The little kids look back at him like, that's not your real name. And he just starts snapping during the signature and just, like, mm-hmm. writing Freddy. And so he's becoming Freddy there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? We, we find him stooped over some bloodied body later in the movie with just like really lazily plastered on half-finished Freddy makeup. And he's like, I'm going to be on television. <laughs> like when he's on the phone with Heather, like during the painting, he's like, oh, I just have to finish up my self-portrait or something like that. Yeah. And, it, mm-hmm. and the camera pans and, and you and see that him. he's drawn Freddy, right? Yep. Ah, oh, they're oh, so much better. Yeah. Just... Just does I just start calling some movie production companies. Yeah. God damn it. He has, a, he has a freezer basement just littered with children. <laughs> He's the one that stole the animatronic glove. Mm-hmm. See? There's always a better movie mm-hmm. coming out of these. Right? Because he would have been on set. Yeah. Totally would have been had total access to it. <sighs> damn it, Wes. Okay, mm-hmm. so what really happened in this movie? Right, so <laughs> something worse. This No, this is the scene where she goes and talks with Wes Craven. And this is where Wes Craven obviously Just has... Lays it out for you. ...formed this scene solely for him to vent 
mm-hmm. his hatred for what other people did to his beloved masterpiece. Well, not just vent, but at this point, he's also explaining what the fuck it is we're watching because we really don't know at this point. Yes, he provides exposition for everything up until this point. I think it's the same thing, though. It's probably him being pissed off at how wrong everyone got all the other movies, Mm -hmm. his included. He's like, all this stupid internet buzz with everyone thinking about what the plot was about. He's like, let me just tell tell everyone. It'll be easier that way. Just like tell everyone the plot of the movie in the movie so everyone's clear on what is actually... What he is trying to get across in here. Yep. And he slams them for being watered-down nonsense, mm-hmm. for being stretched thin to appeal to generic audiences. And all the things that he mentions about the problems with the sequels are valid. But there's just something about the way that he does it where I want to walk up to him and be like, you know what's fun? Bonkers crazy nonsense that you have to figure out what it actually is. You know, it's not fun listening to you guys play yourselves and make pretentious <laughs> attacks at the other movies. Yeah, the best part in this whole thing was not only him slamming all of the other sequels, right? But him explaining that the character he created was so brilliant mm-hmm. that some evil entity, some evil demon who moves from horror creation to horror creation, found his so wonderful mm-hmm. that not only did writers. did the demon possess his character, but now that the character's dead, he decided he liked the character he liked Freddy so much he's gonna stay in that form. Yes, this ancient evil entity who can only be trapped in the iconography of perfectly crafted stories. <laughs> Yeah, instead of just taking his own natural, which I assume is highly lethal and terrifying form, he decides to go with the man in a striped sweater and fedora that makes puns at children. Because that is so much scarier Mm -hmm. than his natural form. And I say that with full, absolute love for the man in a striped sweater that wears a fedora and makes puns at children. (laughs) I will say... That whatever credibility this movie was clinging to, by the time it got to the Wes Craven scene, it lost. If the entity finds Freddy Krueger so terrifying and so perfect to embody, why is it that the entity chooses to change what Freddy looks like when we finally see him? Why does the entity say, well, you know, that Freddy Krueger hat, instead of, you know, the crumpled black fedora that we saw before let's make it green yes or like a neon green like felt fedora right (laughs) instead of the what the dress slacks that freddie had before let's go leather pants tight leather pants and you know what instead of the whatever shoes that freddie had before we're going doc martens Mm -hmm. let's let's do that and let's give freddie a trench coat yep a purple felt trench coat they made Freddy kind of look like the Joker. Yes. And I don't know why it's so weird to me, but the jacket and the hat are both made of felt. <laughs> also looks flimsy and amateur, like they're placeholders for the actual props that come in later, and they're just filming the opposite, the, the actors playing opposite of the entity for these scenes. That's what it looks like. But I get it. They want to change it up. And I bet even Wes is willing to admit the jacket and might have been a mistake. <laughs> 
Oh, and, and Wes is brilliant in all this. He's like, well, the only way to stop him is to make another movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I like you, that line, too. Like, That's you really... fucking twat. It's the, the only, only way. way. The only way. Ugh. The only way to stop it is to make more. Oh God! <laughs> Sorry, this was just—it seemed like an appropriate time to bring up the sucking of one's own cock. Yeah, every one of us in that series had been somehow touched forever by the phenomenon of, of Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, um, Robert England was always known as Freddy, and uh, Nancy, uh, Heather, and Nancy were inextricable. New Line Cinema had sort of been built on it, so. Um, when I came away from that conversation, I, I called up Bob Shea and I said, you know, I think I want to make a movie about the phenomenon of the movie and use that as the basis and jump outside the stories entirely and also try to deal with this whole idea of censorship and whether uh, horror films are good or bad or whether they cause people to do things. Um, because that, that has been uh, sort of a growing and insistent question continuously asked of me and I think everybody else making or films is, aren't you afraid your films cause this or that? And my, my sense was, again, look, going all the way back to Greek mythology, is there's a lot of great literature that is about horror and that somehow a story about horror, uh, in a sense, exercises it or gives it a form. It's, it's the same as Nancy dragging the hat out of her dream. It, it's the beginning of being able to come to terms with it. And that if you were to prevent these stories, you would, in a sense, be allowing something that is ineffable to sort of travel unimpeded through our consciousness. Heather's reading up on childhood schizophrenia and its startling similarities to childhood sleep deprivation. Um, The TV keeps popping on, even though she keeps turning it off, keeps popping back on because it's describing the the news story where uh, the two Special effects guys have been found dead. The glove is missing. They assume somebody has stole the glove. There might be a killer on the loose. Uh, something makes Heather go to her closet. Can't remember if it's the sound that she hears. She hears lots of creaking. That's what it is. And like someone's walking around. And this is our full... F- the entity just comes leaping out of her closet. He's happy to engage with her. Gets her down on the bed and... And he's looking at her and then he gets like a little bit taken by her. And he says, Nancy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he wants to play this game with her. Right? Wes explained this to us. She was the first one to defeat him. The first one to humiliate him. So that is the focus of the entity is her. She's the gatekeeper. And also the Dream Master? <laughs> it, it seems like every little subtitle sub name that they have for each sequel she's that she's she the dream that. child she's the dream master she's a dream warrior probably mm-hmm. she's, she's a dream warrior she's dream all master that. dylan is a dream child you know i think west craven is the only person on the planet that watches these movies and everything completely makes sense yes <laughs> yep rolls out <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he rolls out <laughs> through his creepy little magician escape box. Uh, and Heather heads straight to the hospital because she knows that this entity is out running around that he must also be on the hunt for her son. And when she gets there, Julie the babysitter is already there. Mm-hmm. She has also had nightmares about Dylan. 
and is there to help check things out. But she can't get in because she's not a fan member. And Dr. Hefner, she wants to do a little bit more interrogating about Heather. Heather has a giant scrape on her arm. Yep. And they're like, what's happening here? And she's like, oh, it's from the earthquake. And they're like, that earthquake was days ago. This bitch is crazy. <laughs> no, it was just it was just 15 minutes ago. I mean, didn't you feel it? Didn't you feel it? I think that was the initial reaction. She's like, oh, it just happened in the earthquake. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's go talk about this somewhere else. Uh, Dr. Hefner has Heather marked. Because while Heather's been gone, Dylan's been sitting up here talking about some scary man with claws trying to get him from the foot of his bed he can't stop talking about his gatekeeper rex that protects him from the scary scary man with big claws so dr hefner is sure that heather has been abusing her son forcing him to watch her old movies laughing in his face as he cries tearfully about how scary (laughs) freddie is and well dr hefner even traps her yes have have you heard of 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 dylan talking about some guy and you know, do you, do you know what he's talking about? Oh well, you know, there, <laughs> there's some guy named Freddie. Wait, Freddie, like from your movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of judgment, scathing judgment coming off this doctor. That sounds kind of crazy. She probably could have done without dropping that line about Freddie, because everyone knows she was in the Freddy Krueger movie. She herself says it. Because then they're like, I think you have been letting your son watch. Like, no, all kids know about Freddy Krueger. He's like Santa Claus or King Kong. So she herself is trying to immortalize Freddy by saying that it's something that everyone knows about. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Wes. Yep, and Wes wrote those words for oh, her to yeah. say. It is something that everyone knows about, obviously. So Wes <laughs> equates his masterpiece with... To King Kong. Yeah. yeah. And something and as Santa ubiquitous Claus. as Santa Claus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Santa Claus. It's like been around for like ever. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong, but when you hear those words out of the creator's mouth... Little surprised that he decided to equate Freddy Krueger to Santa Claus and King Kong, because before she said King Kong, I was certain she was going to say Jesus Christ. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, like Jesus, you know, Freddy Krueger and Jesus. Yeah, everyone knows. Now, she finally gets away from judgmental Dr. Hefner. She goes and sits down, and she's Heather's watching her son sleep, and she herself falls asleep. She's exhausted. And when she wakes up, little Dylan has a cool little moment where he snaps the little EKG uh, heart meter thing off his finger. Little dude <laughs> pops that off, tears open his little plastic bubble that he's inside of for some reason. Yeah, for so, with... Sleep, uh, sleep disorders, in case you guys didn't know, what, what happens in the hospital is they treat you like a bubble boy <laughs> where anything can you kill you. Sleep. And he tears that open, starts talking to Heather, and his voice turns all deep and scary. And then he vomits black soup. <laughs> Instead of green pea soup, it's black bean soup. All in her face. All in her face. And hair. Because this is the new exorcist, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned it before. Way to go, Wes. Doctors come running in, and the, this is the part where you're like, what? This is, this is, is this a fucking dream still? Because the, doc, the nurses start clamping Heather's wrist to her chair so that she can't get up. Like, the doctor on. is irritated that they don't have the right utensils or tools to get into Dylan's body to perform <laughs> surgery right then and there. So she's just going to use her clawed hand. Dun, dun, dun. We figure well, out scalpels still too. a dream. Exactly. 
Scalpels and all her fingers, still a dream, it's just the entity. Heather wakes up again. I think this is our... There's at least six or seven different double dream wake-ups. This is her, she wakes up falling. I don't know why, like, her immediate reaction is to get up and then back down. She's like, oh, and then falls on the bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dylan's not there. Dylan's back off with the babysitter. They're like hanging he's out. He's gone. They're like, he's gone. She's freaking out. And they're like, we took him for biopsy or some tests. You were sleeping. Looks like you needed it. Yep. And Gray Streak has returned to Nancy's hair or Heather's hair. Maybe not returned. For the first time, has appeared in Heather's hair. The Gray Streak that appeared multiple times before in Nancy's hair. But all this stuff is happening simultaneously, which is, I guess, you can give credit to Craven a little bit for the crescendo that happens throughout the movie you know the connection to the father starting to call each other nancy starting to call each other dad you can see her surrender to it as well and it's it's after she surrenders that it fully starts to take over and the gray streak starts to show up and she starts turning into nancy basically so she's freaking out they she's freaking dylan out she's testing she's dylan, dylan yep she's running to go find dylan and <laughs> a crazy parent running through the hospital it's a code yellow, just so you guys know. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a code yellow. In the pediatric ward. So crazy parent, on the loose, pediatric ward, code yellow. Code yellow. Heather gets pulled off to talk to the cops about what's been going on with her son, why she has cuts all over her arms, uh, why her hair has suddenly turned gray. Oh, and not this, crazy. this gives a chance to the babysitter to be kind of a badass. Kind of. Right? This pair of nurses come in, pull this rather clever ruse to inject Dylan with some sleep medicine. Totally illegal, though, right? I mean... Right. No, actually, probably not. Because she probably signed release paperwork when you... Like, she left him there saying that she authorized them to give them the care that they think is best. And they could claim that she's crazy or whatever. I'm pretty sure she signed that release form when she dropped him off. Like, most hospitals have release forms when you sign them. You get there and it says, okay... Just case anything crazy happens, you're allowing us to do our job. I don't know. She didn't sign off on her dead husband at the morgue. I'm not going ahead and giving her credit for signing off on leaving her kid at the hospital. Bureaucracy. Very inconsistent. Right. The trick is one nurse keeps the babysitter occupied with a needle while the other nurse injects the real needle into Dylan. It works. It's pretty clever. And it pisses the babysitter off who punches out the older nurse that she's like, holding on to punches her out to the ground. Pow! Sound the younger nurse freaks out, says, hey, you can't do that. The babysitter, Julie, says, I'll stick you with this needle that neither one of us knows what's inside. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. So, she of course, hold, like, Ruth's character, the boo. Basically, young, she should have said boo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Young nurse runs off. Julie locks her and Dylan inside of the room. And that's when the entity finally makes his... Because Dylan's getting his, real sleepy. He's his, trying to keep him awake. His big, big appearance where we get full-on look at his felt fedora, full-on look at his felt jacket, full-on look at his new yellow contacts. The only time in this movie we get to see the entity kill somebody. And it's an homage killing. Yay, another homage killing to the first movie. It's just... <laughs> right. He takes Julie up along the wall, stabs her First around. she's just like flying <laughs> in midair around. when they run in. That's what happened in the first one too. She's like in midair in the bed, above the bed. When the nurses first walk in, she's just in midair like, ah, ah, yep. help yeah. me. Then he drags her across the ceiling. <laughs> and honestly, 
I feel like it was done better 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, I feel like Tina's death in the first one where she gets dragged around the room was way more graphic and disturbing than Julie's. And if Wes kept saying that he was trying to make Freddy scary again, but in the first one, Freddy just drags her around the room, chops her up into bits and leaves. And in this one, he takes the time to make a couple of puns and cracks a couple of jokes at Dylan about skidding cats. I will say the one thing that makes this a little scarier is that only Dylan can actually see Freddy. Right. And and just so you guys know, so I can point this out, a woman getting slashed in a pediatric ward by an invisible killer, also code yellow. Yeah. (laughs) So that is a pretty thick code. Broad code. Broad code. Covers a lot, you know. This whole thing pisses me off. Because they set this up earlier with the limo driver. It fucking infuriates me. This whole thing is bullshit. How did they set this up with the limo driver? Like, what do you mean? Uh, when Langing when Langing cunt gets into the limo. Oh right, he said that he loved with that. The limo dad. driver's like, "You were in that movie, right? Yeah, that scene where they took your friend and flopped her all around the room and do 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 do." It's like lame ass homage from the limo driver, and then fucking follow up bullshit scene homaging more dick sucking. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> out of hand, dick sucking. It's okay. Mm. Julie dies. Yes, this is the part that you... <laughs> so the rest of this is going to be, all right? You guys are going to talk. I'm going to jump in with some angry statement, and then there's going to be silence. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll Back to the story. The, the ridiculous dick sucking was out of hand when we had Wes Craven come in and explain everything about this movie. Now, Now we're just kind of like, Using the tip of our tongue to go up and down the frenulum, you know, mm-hmm. like we're this. This is back to more foreplay before the climax. For full on dick sucking. <laughs> yeah, we're beyond dick sucking now. The dick has already come. It desperately wants to have time to relax in its refractory period, and Wes Craven <laughs> is still just painfully sucking at that sensitive so this- dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sure all begging sure him to stop. Sure doesn't like there's there's cum all over the audience's face. And Wes Craven's like, no, you don't get a towel. No, put the towel away. No, he's telling everybody, fuck off, put the towel over there. No, no, no. Do not give them a towel. Just let it sit there. Mm-hmm. Or how about in a movie that's trying to be all, like serious about Freddy Krueger and bringing it back to its roots about being serious? Why don't we throw in a big uh, F- Freddy Krueger laughing maniacally in the sky scene? <laughs> Oh, you mean the Mufasa scene? <laughs> the Mufasa scene. <laughs> the Mufasa scene, yes. The picking up children uh, on the freeway scene. Yes, because like we said, Heather has already implanted this idea in Dylan's head about escaping home by crossing a very, very dangerous freeway, which he uses all the chaos in the hospital as a chance to escape and do just this. Heather follows, letting Dr. Hefner know that she's been wrong about everything, that she's a huge bitch. Yeah. And we have this awkward mid-90s CG scene Ugh. where f- the entity is in the sky, uses his big-ass claw to pick Dylan up and dangle him in front of cars and coming across the freeway. Lots of screeching and CGI green screens oh, of cars pulling around. Dodging cars. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. So Superstar bad. Heather Langenkamp ducking 18-wheelers. Like, to the right <laughs> and she barely missed that car. Yep. And the funny part is, is after all of her dodging and relatively graceful like superhero like qualities she just gets slammed by a car 
Well, and you see her brace for it, too. Mm-hmm. So she, like, dives at the windshield of a station wagon, for, like, back first. And then Luke Wilson comes out to save her. Yep. Right? <laughs> yep. Very, very st- stunt women, stunt woman performed stunt. Uh-huh. And I love that this is also the time when traffic is finally stopped. Not because there's a six-year-old kid in traffic being dangled in midair. That wouldn't stop traffic. No. Not right? enough. Now she finally gets hit by the car. People are like, oh, maybe we should stop. Check mm-hmm. on the situation. Not, not the time where she like ducks under Ernie's tanker truck. Right? Right. Yeah, not that, seriously. Not that not part. The, no. Nope. Just, yeah, once she gets hit. And then, of course, she's like, screw you guys. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm going to go. Yeah, she's totally fine. Yeah, no, she's yeah, always pissed off at them. She's like, "Get off of me! I have to go." Yeah, because Jonathan, you had mentioned how no one in this movie really reacts to pain properly. Yeah, and here she gets hit by a car going like sixty miles an hour, and she just gets up to go and retrieve her son. Yeah, she's pissed. Yeah. She's like, "Get well, off me, you asshole!" We see her earlier when she gets sliced by Freddy in the dream. She like looks at him. She's rubbing, and she's like, "Ow, ow, ow!" Mm-hmm. Now yeah. she gets hit by a fucking car, and she's fine. Yep. Back to running. Back to running. Back in the neighborhood. Back to her house. Where Doors Dylan has open. run to, and where John is just in the house. Yep. Her, her, some guy who apparently is one of her best friends, who she'll confide yeah, all over. Her dear friend, her dear B friend, movie actor John Saxon. B movie actor, she'll confide all of her like family mental history to while she's neglecting her son. Apparently, has a key to her house and just lets himself in whenever he wants to. mm Hmm. And here's also where the movie takes a bizarre twist because we've heard all this talk about the entity wanting to engage in this game with Heather playing Nancy one final time. And here all the characters suddenly fall under the spell of the entity. Is that what happens here? Because John starts to think that he's Mr. Thompson. Mm -hmm. Starts calling Heather Nancy. Nancy catches wind of all this weird talk and realizes that she's just going to have to go with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when she finally decides that she's going to go with it, the entity is sitting there. He's morphed out of the bed. He has a little sheet torn in front of his face. And it, I think he's literally waiting for the moment that Heather goes, okay, I'll be Nancy. And then when Pretty she much. says that, he tears like, out. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. now we're playing. Now it's on, right? Yep, and it's on. When she finally starts playing that she's Nancy, right? She turns. She's followed John out of the house, mm-hmm. who has gotten into a cop car yeah. or something. Yeah, his cop car's there. His he's got his old like he's got clothing from the first movie. His badge on, right? And I've seen is crazy too because before they're like child freaking out, just ran across the freeway and was dangled over there by Freddy, like super freaking out. She's like, "Well, let's go outside and talk." He'll be fine here in the house by himself. Yes, that was weird. Yep. After all that urgency and freaking out, let's just leave him alone. Let's just leave him alone. (laughs) And so she's outside. She turns back to her house, and it's her house. It's her her. It's Nancy's house. Nancy's house from the first movie. And you pointed out it had the blue door, so it was the original house. Exactly. I was looking. I was looking for a little bit more from this. I was. I was looking. I was looking for a little bit more. Fuck it from her expression. When she accepts yeah. Nancy, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was sort of like a you can see that, uh, like kind of like a okay, I guess I don't have a choice, you know, like it was kind of like that, yeah. Instead of fuck it, I wanted a fuck it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. She walks let's inside, and slams the door, and she's because like, "Nancy's the rest, home." Yeah, the rest My of her behavior bitch. is like 
let's do this. The whole, you know, popping sleeping pills and diving in and, you know, doing the whole Hansel Gretel bit. It's like that, that whole thing, that action is, let's do this, fuck you entity, I'm coming for you, right? And her acceptance scene of being Nancy and saying, let's do this, didn't really say, let's do this. It didn't <laughs> say, fuck it, let's go. Yeah. It said, Okay. But regardless of her reaction, the fight is on. She's back in her PJs from the original movie. She walks back inside the house. Here's our third time that the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie is playing in the background. With the TV unplugged. With the TV unplugged. She grabs a knife. She goes searching around the house, finds the sleeping pills on the ground as breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. And when she goes into Dylan's room, it's dark in there. And she hears, like, a noise come from her side, and she just blindly stabs into the dark of her child's bedroom <laughs> with a knife. He could have been in a corner, scared and crying. He could have been delusional and thinking that he was the entity and was going to jump out and attack her. She could have stabbed her son in the face. Yeah, but where she stabbed was too high. That's where, true. where she stabbed was too tall. It would have stabbed the entity in the chest, or it would have gone over Dylan's head. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan's head. Yeah. <laughs> baby, baby Miko Hughes is a tiny, tiny individual, right? He is strangely small. With a huge head. Yeah. Massive head. He looks 18 inches tall, 18 inches wide. And Nathan already brought it up, sort of a poetic moment with the sleeping pills as breadcrumbs, taking the sleeping pills to join him in dreamland. She takes them. But the way that she takes them is just so weird. She takes them like a fucking drug addict. Like, she's Mm, popping sleeping pills, and she's so happy she gets the next sleeping pill. And when she finds the one after that, she's so happy, and she's just popping pills. She she found, like, three of them first and threw, like, three in it first and kept going. (laughs) So she takes three at once... And then, like, throughout the whole bed thing, she takes another three or four more. She's popped six or seven sleeping pills in the span of, like, two minutes. Like, wait for him to kick in. You're going to Heath Ledger yourself and be just fucking dead. Trying to go for that deep sleep. Nathan, you still there? Did you have to say Heath Ledger yourself? But, yeah, Nathan, if you cut this scene out of context from the rest of the movie... You have this deranged-looking woman whose hair is frantic and has a gray streak in it who is searching for drugs on the ground and then finds a random pill in her son's bed and goes, oh, thank God, and shoves it into her mouth. (laughs) That's why I think a more dramatic transition with the whole fuck it, let's do this would have given a better continuity to the behavior that she's exhibiting throughout the rest of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I mean, you want me to celebrate certain scenes of the movie um, without criticizing and evaluating the poor weakness that that precedes it. I'm not sure that I can do that, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, because she jumps into the bed after she started falling asleep. Knife first. Knife first, head first. She gets access to the weird nightmare tunnel that is connected to the foot of her son's bed. It turns into a Freddy water slide. Yep. Yeah. Full on Freddy water slide, which then dumps her onto this set of Hellraiser. <laughs> Just a massive hellscape this time. Like we've mm-hmm. seen Freddy hellscapes before, but this one is huge with there. a cascading waterfall coming out of a sculptured Freddy head. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they had this technology, and they had to use it. Just had to. Absolutely had to. So this ancient evil <laughs> entity is like this pathetic, selfish child 
who's in love with Freddy Krueger and decorates his hell bedroom with Freddy Krueger stuff. Yep. Yeah. So are they trying to say that he's Robert Shea? Yes. (laughs) He's the ultimate Freddy fan. The ultimate. The entity is the ultimate Freddy Krueger fan. Mm -hmm. Period. Number one fan. He made he decorated an entire dimension (laughs) after him. The entity is New Line Cinema. That's more accurate, yeah, actually. And so she's wandering around this, like, Freddy Parthenon-type temple mm-hmm. with temple knife, knife in hand. And she comes across Wes Craven's script, just laying in a puddle of filthy nightmare water. Mm-hmm. And she reads it, it's describing what's happening, blah, blah, blah. But it tells her what to do. Then it, then it basically like, like can't she like do. skip ahead and be like how do I kill him? Oh, yeah. Okay, I like this. Yeah, she skips ahead. Oh, mo- I'm okay. Yeah, uh, I live. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, there's no tension anymore. And and then classic horror movie moment where you go, oh, why'd you do that? When her son finally pops out of nowhere and says, "The bad man, let me go." She just throws her knife to the ground. Yeah. Right. Yep. Won't need that. Yeah. Won't need that anymore. And instantly, the entity is there. She has this little fight with Freddy where uh, she, Freddy pushes her into some jar with snakes come pouring out of it and she stabs Freddy in the eye with a snake. Yeah, mm-hmm. using the snake uh, weapon. Which, okay. And then she takes a torch off the wall, hits him in the stomach with it and holds the torch under his face as he's bent over so he kind of burns his face in the fire a little bit. He isn't like that. Right? And Dylan comes in, mommy, mommy, and she forces him out of the room, runs him out of the room, and she just takes off after him instead of, you know, hitting Freddy a couple more times, which she could have done. This is when Freddy comes in, grabs her, chokes her up against the wall, and Dylan, 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 Dylan finds the knife. (laughs) And And stabs the entity. Stabs the entity. It seems like he stabbed the entity two, three times. Yeah, yeah. Either he stabbed multiple times or just very weird. No, he stabbed him once and left Aw- the knife in there. It's awkward editing made it look like he had stabbed him multiple mm, times. Because he, like, stabbed him in, like, the back of the leg or something. And Freddy's like, what the fuck? It was, like, and through he his out. calf. Yeah, but why is the ancient god of all evils so susceptible to a stab wound in the Seriously. leg? Is it because he loves Freddy so much that he had to embody Freddy and all of Freddy's weaknesses? Well, no, it's because the entity was, you know, trying to come blown into the up real world out of proportion. So you're saying he he makes everyone think he's a big ancient super evil, but really he's just like a lesser demon that has I'm talked himself why, up over the years. Why can't that be the result? Why can't you have a movie where they say, "Oh, this entity. Oh, oh, this entity." And then at the end you go, "Oh, wow, this entity's kind of a pussy." Mm. Oh. Okay. Because he's yeah. definitely that. Yeah. What a what a fucking pitch. Yeah. Okay, well that was easy. This built up entity takes damage that Freddy Krueger in a nightmare laugh. would laugh off. Laugh, laugh off, yeah. Or accept and make you think he was hurt and then just erase it and be like, you're dumb. Yeah. I mean in the previous one, Freddy was like slicing off his fingers. Yeah, to make a point. Yeah. Just to Here, show everybody be, he can't be hurt. I'll be Wes Craven. You guys ask me why. Um, the entity was defeated so easily. Go ahead. Hey, uh, Wes, just just one question. We're looking over the script here, and uh, seems like Heather takes out the entity rather easily. 
No, no, that's not entirely true. <laughs> well, right here, um, but he's the, a young boy stabs him in the there's, leg. There's a few elements to this that not a lot of people uh, understand. And the first element would be a mother's instinctive nature to protect her child, giving her a superhuman power. Yeah, that would be the basis. Oh, okay. And, no, I, the, and the second would be um, her consumption of these sleeping pills. Um, those pills, in in a dream state, were feeding her commitment to uh, defeating the entity. So, 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 so the the amount of pills that she was taking was exponentially growing her strength on top of the uh, superhuman need to protect her child. And the instinctiveness there um, just just turned her put put her on the same level as the entity. Well, well Wes, can 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 you explain to us that why after uh, f- the entity is stabbed by Dylan, who didn't take any sleeping pills, the entity is seen limping throughout the rest of the fight scene. <laughs> My interpretation is I'm thinking maybe the audience has misinterpreted what ancient means. Maybe well, no one cares about maybe your interpretation. instead of thinking you strike me as a dream master, like dream old, child fan. Ancient being is <laughs> old and mysterious and thus more powerful. Maybe ancient is just old and decrepit and mm-hmm. has lost his powers over the years. Yep. And maybe your favorite character is Jesse from number two, right? <laughs> wow, unbelievable. Dan, Dan, Rick, Dan, Rick, Nick, Rick, Dan, Nick, Rick, Dan. Okay, but let's get to the Hansel and Gretel parallel scene which is that little dylan runs off he gets cored into a room that has a little furnace in it he crawls inside the furnace to get away from the entity the entity who is in the same shot as which he exposes that he has the ability to shapeshift cannot shapeshift his chest to get further inside the furnace instead has to stretch his arm out and try and grab dylan that way um Tense? Was a tense scene for anybody? Anybody scared if little Dylan's going to get caught in the furnace? Is anybody scared? No. And what's funny, too, is when his arm is all super long Gumby Freddy, right? The camera looks back at Freddy, whose face in like... Super long Gumby entity. Gumby, mm-hmm. Gumby entity. Sorry. The camera looks back at the entity's face with him trapped between the two little doors of the oven and the arm is coming off at such a weird angle. Yeah, you can see the contraption. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever tension was built. Yeah, just, you can see nope. this, the sweater sloppily pulled over the contraption mm-hmm. and Robert England trying real hard to make it look natural. Yep. But then this is the part. There's a part here that a lot of this movie I didn't remember. A lot of it I did. But this scene I definitely remember. It stuck into my young boy brain when the entity tries to eat Dylan, 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 yes. Dylan stretches his mouth out and his tongue is like where he looks like a Beetlejuice character. Yes. yes, this is this is bullshit homage. To because they cut from this scene to like a snake in the window. Yeah, there's some little. It's like cubby. a little hatch escape hole. Yeah, and... they they cut over to a snake just randomly, and it's because in whatever movie. He became a snake and tried to eat somebody, right? So he just tried to eat him, and then they flash over to the snake, and you're supposed to go, Ooh. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't About the worm, about Freddy, the Freddy worm and the snake. I didn't even think about yeah. that. I just... Well, 
even though I'm here, I'm here to help educate you. Right. Even though that makeup looks weird and rubbery and fake, there's something about the fact that it is rubbery and weird and fake that, to me, comes off as scarier than what they were trying to attempt to do. Like thinking of an entity stretching its mouth out to eat me, kind of scary. Watching this weird, fake, rubbery mask thing with a tongue that goes and then tries to eat this. Uh, that part is freaky to me. Yeah. Why does an oven have an escape hatch? What? What? Yeah, when understand. you put kids in your oven, you don't want them to be able to escape. <laughs> okay, wait, guys. We're forgetting that while the entity is in the middle of trying to eat little Dylan's head. Goopy stairs. Goopy stairs. Nan- yeah, that's right. Nancy slash Heather gets stuck on goopy stairs. Another first movie homage or mm-hmm. dick sucking. Yep. And she has the knife now. She has the knife again. And when she finally gets to the entity, she stabs him in the dick. Yeah, <laughs> straight in the dick. Yeah. Nate, did you notice that? He's a pedophile trying to get her son. I mean, no. that seems fitting. Oh, it's definitely fitting. But yeah, she stabs him in the dick. You think she does when she first does it, and then later you see a shot with his leg spread and her arm and her coming out from out. between them. Yeah. <laughs> I was just kind of dis- dismissing this because of how much of a pussy he was. Should have been a harpoon. Because after, uh, after the dick stabbing, then there's a tongue fight. We get another Wes Craven tongue fetish adoration scene. And he sticks his tongue out, tries to strangle... Uh, Heather, there's a weird little two-second shot where he wraps his tongue around her chest inside of her shirt, and he goes, ha, 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 I didn't notice that. You notice yeah, that? Yeah, I noticed that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like he's t- wrapped her tongue around her old body. Yep. He gets it under her shirt, though, and he's like, oh, yeah. Good for him. And um, uh, little Dylan comes out, and he tries yeah. to stab Freddy's, or the entity's tongue, but he, the tongue keeps moving. It was kind of like well, the scene from Aliens. It was kind of like the scene from Aliens with the knife in the yes. hand. And you're right, Jasmine. Who? Why go for the tip of the tongue when you can just stab the base? Or you can just like cut it off because it's like stretched out through the gate of the mm-hmm. furnace, wrapped around Heather, and then he finds the end of it to stab. Like, why don't you, would you like sever the tie between his tongue and being wrapped around her? Just yeah, cut it completely off. And so once they damage his oh, tongue, nice and stretched out. He lets her go. He's kind of reeling in pain. They push him completely inside the furnace, lock the door, and crank the furnace up. He sets on fire, turns back Wait, into the devil. That was the reason why they do the, the tip of the tongue, because he pulls his tongue away to get it back, and it splits it. So that in the last scene when he's burning, he has the split tongue that the looks like a... devil tongue. Also looks like a serpent. Yes. Devil yeah. has serpent tongue. Yep. Devil, serpent, entity, hell, fire metamorphosis explosion not just explosion but all of this entity's hellscape explodes with him and for an entity a creature who is evil that surrounds his living lair with nothing but fire (laughs) fire is the thing that makes everything end yeah yeah Uh, you know all i could imagine like what i'm thinking of right now is just like a slug who built its domicile out of out of salt mm-hmm. I, I don't understand did, did you guys notice they didn't even lock the oven door i was thinking the door was open like the whole time like she closes it yeah when she pushes him in but then when he's like burning it's open 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no show. handle on the inside, of course, but you could slide it open. Yeah. Oh, no, it is open, too, when they show it back. Later. Oh, is it? Like, it's just wide open. Yeah. So we can only like, assume oh, that the entity, more than killing, because he's an ancient evil, killing must get old after a while, he must be obsessed with this game, with this game of playing Freddy, who, looking back in a movie sense is hilarious and evil and violent, but also also kind of weak and pathetic when it comes to defeating him. So maybe he's just so in love with Freddy that he also embodies this sort of Freddy dropout moment <laughs> that always happens toward the end of his movies. So he's literally just mimicking Freddy foot for foot, word for word, hair for hair. To the end. Yes, including his cheesy weak endings. Yeah. Maybe it's just kenosis. Jonathan, do you know what that word means? No. Look up the word kenosis and tell me what you think. The relinquishment of the form of God by Jesus and becoming man and suffering death. Right. So you're saying the entity he took, he could oh, have. Jesus Christ, yeah. He could have done, like in The Exorcist, he could have performed a vulgar display of power, but he chose not to. And instead engaged in a very graceful villainous kenosis I'll close my eyes to everyone but you right like I get it I like what he says bitch too but he kills kids after he touches their genitals I weigh I weigh in on the things that matter and then I move on you see and spin around in a circle and talk about useless shit. I lock my heart. It is kind of cool to know that your fancy blue microphone has a mute button on it. <sighs> my fancy blue mic. See, I think everything. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong and we just need to have it out someday. But <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks you're always trying to take a shot at me. What? You know? So I'm getting defensive inside, you know? Like, you just say anything, Jonathan. Say anything. Go ahead. Say something. You know, I said fancy blue microphone because when you told me that you had a blue microphone, I was legitimately impressed because I know that to be a good brand of microphones. I know, but when you say fancy, the way that you say fancy blue microphone makes me want to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you son of a bitch. You're mocking my microphone. Or you're like, oh, look who's look at Mr. Moneybags with his fancy microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the two. I'm, well, I meant it both ways simultaneously. Okay. Chuck and Terry are <laughs> dead. I thought she fucked that up.